Good morning, everyone. Ooh, I'm nice and loud. I don't have to project as much. That's kind of nice. How are you guys doing this morning? How are you guys doing this morning? Well, there's a little bit better. A little bit better. Maybe we're all down because there's snow on the ground and we were getting really used to this beautiful weather. Although it does look like this week we're going to see mid-40s for most of it. So if this makes you gloomy, it might be gone next week or so. So last week we spent our time looking at this uh, two-part series called The Bread of Life, and we talked a lot about these two ditches that we can end up in when it comes to spending time in God's Word, when it comes to pouring into the Scriptures, when it comes to reading our Bibles. And we spent half of our time looking at something I like to call the ditch of neglect. And we saw that supported in Scripture, this idea that we can and we shouldn't neglect God's Word. And that ditch, we found, ranges into a whole slew of things, from the bottom, muddy, filthy pit of the ditch of just not reading God's Word at all, to only reading portions that maybe we resonate with. You know, if you're very pragmatic, you might like Proverbs. You might like Ecclesiastes, which I just read this weekend. You might like the book of James, which if you want to get a sucker punch, read James. He just, he just throws left hook, right hook, uppercut all the time. So we can find ourselves in the ditch of neglect by not reading at all to reading parts we resonate with or by going through things like watching or seeing a meme on Facebook with a verse and just glancing at a verse throughout our day and, and kind of going about our business, forgetting about it, but feeling good because we, we read a verse, feeling like it was good enough. And we also can find there's a lot of reasons for why we neglect the word. We can neglect the word because we're busy. There's a lot of stuff going on in our lives. There's a lot of things that crowd out our time. Uh, if you're in my stage of life, I have five children, 10 all the way down to seven months. You can get busy. And so we can neglect the word for busyness. We can neglect the word because we're uninterested. Uh, I tried reading Chronicles and man, whew, it's just genealogy after genealogy and I don't know what to do with it. So we can neglect the word because there's parts of it that don't, don't interest us. We can neglect the word for a lot of reasons. Maybe we think, eh, I read it once. I get the gist of it. Probably good, right? And so as Christians, we can find ourselves in this ditch of neglect where we're not reading at all, we're in the bottom of the pit, or we're reading little parts, just the parts we resonated with. And then we turn to the other side of the road, this other ditch, the ditch we called the ditch of pride. And we saw how that's supported in Scripture too, where when we seek to get away from the ditch of neglect, we swing up and over the road and we flop down into the other the other ditch. And that ditch is the ditch of pride where we study it, we pour over it, which is good. We develop convictions about the scripture, which is really good. It is good and God-honoring to, to take a stand on God's word, even on things that might be debatable. But then we become proud and we get arrogant and we start to be condescending to people who have come to different positions and different understandings of those debatable things. And so we find ourselves bludgeoning people over debatable things. We get, a, we get this hobby horse of a theology and we, we just like to club everyone around us. Or maybe more practically speaking, we study the word and we find good pieces of wisdom in here. Like if you're pragmatic and you love Proverbs, you're gonna find that. And you find a method that really works in your life. I'm gonna apply this proverb methodologically this way, but you don't apply it that way and you're wrong. You wanna be wise with your finances. And so you go through Dave Ramsey, which I would recommend. It's, it's amazing. But then anybody who doesn't use Dave Ramsey is now in sin somehow. And so we get arrogant and proud over things that are good. And we club people because they don't apply the scriptures exactly the same way that we would. And so we talked about these two ditches, the sin of neglect, neglecting God's word, and the sin of pride, where we get arrogant and condescending over it. So now, last week, having discussed those two ditches that we can end in, now we're going to turn to the middle of the road. How do we get back on the road, and how do we stay on the road when it comes to God's Word? And as I looked at this, I think I came up with like 15 different points I would really like to go through. We can't do that. I have three 
this morning. So there's a lot more that we could talk about. We could probably carry this season through this series through March, but we won't. We're just going to close it up here. So there is some wisdom, some very big ideas that we can take from the scriptures to get us on the road of reading our Bible and, and eating the bread of life. But before we dive into that, let's pray, commit our time to the Lord, and thank him for his goodness in giving us the scriptures. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful uh, that you are so good, so kind, so wonderful, that you've blessed us with your word, that you spoke it so that we could digest it, that you gave us things in scriptures and you revealed it to us, and those things are ours. Lord, we thank you that you want to communicate with your creation, that you have worked the uh, story of redemption through Jesus Christ, through history, and you've been working it since the Garden Garden of Eden. And God, so we praise you this morning. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would soften our hearts. You would remove any obstacles in the way of hearing your word. And God, that you would just help us focus on you and your scriptures and learn a little bit more about you. We love you and we commit our morning to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this morning, the first thought I want to present to us though it's probably really obvious after having looked at the ditch of neglect and the ditch of pride, is that it is our duty as Christians to know the word. It is our duty as Christians to know the word. It is our duty as, as Christians to read it and to study it. But that does not mean that it is every Christian's duty to spend eight hours a day reading the Bible. It doesn't mean that everybody's duty is to pour over this for four hours every morning and read a bunch of theological works so that you can get maybe more informed or get a more well-rounded view. It is true that some people are called to that. Some people will pour over this book for countless hours of their day or will get up early in the morning. There's a theologian, I forget which one it was. It might have been Albert Moeller, who said he gets up at 4 a.m. every day because it's the only time he can be in quiet. And he spends three, four hours in the word. Not all of us are called to that. But all of us as Christians are called to be in God's word daily. All Christians have the duty of being in God's word daily, while not everyone is called to study it all day. And we see this supported for us in Ecclesiastes, where Solomon gives us some wisdom as how this is the duty of mankind in general. So if we turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, right towards the end here, in verse 13, he writes, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And so we see here Solomon is letting us know we need to keep his commandments. We need to fear him. This is our duty as people. But if we we look at this, nobody here can keep a commandment if they don't know what the commandment is. We can't keep God's word if we don't know what it says. That seems fairly obvious to me. Now I want to back up here just for a second. This is not me advocating salvation by works. This is not God telling us that we are saved by our works. Rather, this is me and the word advocating that in response to the glorious gift of the gospel, that we would seek to live in ways that glorify and honor our God through every action, thought, and doing in our lives. And so if you and I are believers and we want to glorify and we want to honor God, we have to know how best to do that. And because our God is good to us, he has given us this book so that we can know how best to glorify and honor him with our lives. So again, this is not me advocating salvation by works. Our obeying the commandments of the word are a response to the glorious gift of the gospel to us, not something that saves. And I think that needs to be said because sometimes it's easy to get into that perhaps other, another ditch here where we think we're saved by what we do. So, we've seen that it is our individual duty as Christians to be in God's word, to know his commandments, to know what he says. And we don't need to commit every waking moment to reading the word, just like as a husband to my wife, I don't commit every waking moment to listening to her. I love listening to my wife, 
but I can't spend all day listening to my wife. I have other tasks to perform. And so as Christians, just like a husband would seek to love his wife with all of his life, and he would seek to build up his family with all of his life, so a Christian would seek to love and honor the Lord with all of his life. And in order to do that, in order to honor and glorify God with all of our lives, we need to know how to do that. And we do that by getting into his word. His word teaches us how to do that. And so it's our duty to know his word. How do we do that? How can we know God's word? And now there are a lot of ways that you and I can approach reading God's word and studying his word and pouring into the scriptures. And the first, and I think the primary method to getting to know his word is actually really, really simple. We read it. We read it cover to cover. And then we reread it. And then we read it again. And then we do it again. We spend time daily because we know, just like we need food to nourish our body, we eat two or three meals a day to stay physically healthy. We need God's word to keep us spiritually healthy. And I say that, and I don't mean that in any condescending way. It is really just that simple. And it's amazing how as we study God's word, most of his truths are incredibly, incredibly simple. They're easy to grasp in our minds. But even though it's simple, I suspect for all of us or most of us, it's quite difficult, right? It's an easy truth, but it's a hard one to put into practice. So how do we make spending time in the word, in the Bible daily, a habit? And the answer to that one is also quite simple. And it's one I think most of us don't like. I don't generally like it. We need to cultivate daily discipline in our lives. If we want to make the habit of being in God's word, we have to cultivate daily discipline in our lives. Again, it's another really obvious and it's another really easy answer and it's simple, but, it, but it's not easy to execute. It's hard for us to implement. Daily discipline in the things that we might not want to do, that we don't naturally want to do, is really, really actually quite hard. It's quite difficult. And that's because we are fighting against our flesh. The flesh doesn't want to pour into the word, just like the flesh doesn't want to perhaps do other things that are hard in our lives. And some good examples of that is who here, don't raise your hand, but who here would like to be healthier? Maybe lose weight. The really easy answer to losing weight and being healthier is just to eat better. It's not a complicated solution, but it is an incredibly difficult one to implement in our lives, especially if most of our lives has been built on drinking Mountain Dew, eating Cheetos, and slurping a Slurpee at the gas station. Because the last thing you want to do when you get home is to bust out a Caesar salad. Because right after having that sugary drink, that Caesar salad doesn't sound so good. Do you want to build muscle? Do you want to be physically stronger? We know the answer. It's really easy. You exercise regularly. You can't hit the gym once and expect to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. But if you exercise regularly, you will find that you'll have more energy, you'll have more endurance, you will build muscle, you will get stronger. It's a simple answer, but who here wants to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning before they go to work to hit the gym for half an hour? It's a difficult thing to implement in our lives. Do you want a better marriage? Do you want a better marriage? It's the answer to, to having a better marriage or to working our marriage. It's really simple. You communicate better. You spend time with your spouse and you, you stop being selfish and you start to be selfless for your spouse. They're all simple tools, but all of them are incredibly difficult to actually implement because we're at war with our flesh. All of these answers are really obvious, but the implementation of them is very, very difficult. So if we, want to, if we want progress in our lives in, in eating well and being healthier, if we want progress in our lives in building muscle, if we want progress in our lives in being in God's word, we need the daily discipline. We have to commit to doing it. And now I want to tell you this morning, and I hear this all the time, find time in your day. 
when it comes to reading the word, just find time in your day. And that would be well enough, I think. But I I would submit to you, it's probably better said, make time. Carve out time to spend in the word. Tell your husband or wife or your roommate that every morning, I'm going to spend 15 minutes in the word. I'm going to try to read the Bible. Can you just not interrupt me for a few minutes? Can, you know, don't, don't bring the odd question. Or say, well, you know, I'm going to try to do this before bed. So I'm going to lay in bed for 15 minutes. Can I have 15 minutes? Just communicate with someone in your life that this is something you're trying to do. To make it really easy, you can find for yourself a plan on how to go through the Bible. There's a lot of different plans out there. My kids are on a plan. My seven up year old, our seven, eight, and ten year old are all on a plan. They read one chapter a day. They write out one verse a day. It's very simple. In three years, they're going to get through the whole scripture. My eldest at ten is almost through the whole Bible. So we find a plan. We commit to it. We find a time to put it into practice. We institute the daily discipline of reading God's word. If you want a Bible plan, you can come to me. I have like half a dozen, all different, really good options. Mark was gracious enough to print off a few and put them on the round table. So if you feel like you need a plan, go grab one of those papers, or you could take it even a step further. Get yourself a one-year Bible. I've done one of, this, I've done one of these once. But they're really great because they, they literally plot out, read from here to here, and then there's a break. And then you read from here to here, and there's a break. And it tells you exactly what to do. All you have to do is pick it up and read it. So there's no checking boxes. There's no looking at a chart. It's very, very simple. Pick up a plan or a one-year Bible. Daily discipline is difficult. It's an easy answer, but it's hard to implement. Now, Mark and I were actually talking about this week, and he reminded me of another really good piece of wisdom when it comes to implementing daily discipline in your life. And I think this one is really good for us to remember. We need to remember that our other decisions and our other life choices affect this decision. The battle to eat healthier doesn't begin at the pantry. The battle to eat healthier begins at the grocery store, and what you put in the pantry. If the Cheetos and the Mountain Dew and the Slurpee, well, I don't know why you'd have a Slurpee in your pantry, but if they're in your pantry, it's really hard to resist them. But if they're not even in your home, you are going to be tempted to take it. What we bring into our house increases our options of choice and can crowd out our desire or our our efforts here to get into the Word. A good example of this is some of us may have streaming services. Some of us may have multiple streaming services. Maybe you've got four or five, maybe you have ten, I don't know. There's dozens of them out there. And you get these streaming services, and and many of them are really good, and there's a lot of good programming on it, or at least enjoyable programming to watch. And you feel like you need to get your money's worth, right? And so at the end of the day, what is it you want to do? You want to turn one of those services on and you want to watch the programming there. That's a choice of something you've brought into your home that can crowd out time to read the Word. So simply eliminating distractions and cutting out extra activities, things that aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, can help us make the choice a little bit easier. And in fact, you might find if you cut out a streaming service from your daily life, you might watch less shows, you might go to bed a little earlier. You might binge watch things a little bit less. So one very practical piece of wisdom is what we bring into our homes can crowd out other things that we want to do. We need to eliminate distractions. Now, what are some other helpful tips to put this into practice? Well, I've learned... And in my experience of seeing, most people bring their cell phones with them when they go sit in the bathroom. A lot of people do this. A lot of people open their phone and they're scrolling Facebook or whatever your social media uh, choice is. Just don't. Leave the phone out of your bathroom and have a Bible sitting on your uh, nightstand or well, not your nightstand, you wouldn't have one of those in there, but you'd have, a, you'd have a cabinet or a vanity or something in there that you could have a Bible sitting on. This is a really, really helpful tip for moms. 
Now I know uh, from having little kids that sometimes the only time you have to yourself in your home is the five minutes you're on the bathroom, you're in the bathroom. Even though there might be fingers coming in from under the door. But you may have five minutes there that you can redeem. And instead of scrolling through Facebook, which is easy, it's mindless, it lets you shut everything off, you can redeem that time and give it to the Lord and be refreshed in Him while the fingers come out from underneath your door. Another quick and easy example, get the Bible on audio. You can buy it, and you can buy some really cool ones with all the different voices and whatnot, but you can get it completely for free. If you have the ESV version on your phone, it's an app on your phone, it will read it to you at the desired speed, at times two speed, if you want to get through it really fast and have them really talk really quick. U version is similar. You can pick a translation, and you can have it read to you. The point of all of this is that it's our duty to be consuming the word, whether we're listening to it or whether we're reading it with our ears or with our eyes. It is our duty to commit to making this a daily discipline in our lives. The whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep his commandments and to know his commandments. We have to be confronted with his word regularly. Now, as we consider this idea of daily discipline, I think questions are probably popping into our mind. At least these came into mind. Questions like, well, I trust my pastor and I listen to his sermons on Sunday morning and I think about them generally a little bit throughout the week. Isn't that enough? Or, at least I see this more in my generation, I have this Bible podcast that I really like and they're good. A lot of them are really great. And these guys sit and they talk about verses and they talk about theological concept, Justin. If I just listen to that, isn't that enough? Isn't that fine? I want to more closely examine those thoughts and turn to Acts chapter 17, where we see Paul and Silas are in a Jewish synagogue preaching to a people uh, called uh, in Berea. So if we turn to Acts 17, 10 through 11, I think we get some insight into this question. It says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So here you have Paul and Silas at a Jewish synagogue. And they're preaching. It says, now these Jews, in verse 11, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So here we have Paul. I mean, he like penned God used him to pen most of the New Testament. This guy's trustworthy, right? Paul and Silas are faithfully preaching God's word as accurately as they know how, and what did the Bereans do? They received it with eagerness. They were excited to hear him. They were pumped up and jacked to hear what Paul and Silas had to say, and that was noble, just like our desire to learn is noble. What else did they do? They examined the scriptures to see if what Paul Trustworthy Paul was saying was true. They were testing every word that he said if it was true and in accord with the scriptures. They were examining the scriptures daily. They were practicing discernment. That's our second idea here. First, we we have to develop the duty. We have to develop the daily discipline. We also have to develop discernment to stay in the middle of that road. Because not only does the daily discipline help us stay in the road, discerning what is coming in from the world around us helps us stay on the middle of the road. See, now if you and I aren't regularly in the word, if we're not making it a daily discipline, then when I get on stage and I say something that's a little off, no yellow flag or red flag comes up in your mind. You may accept whatever it is that may not be true as truth. When we're listening to that podcast or a sermon from maybe someone outside of the church or from here, we won't have the discernment to recognize that there's something a little fishy. Something stinks about what is being presented here. And I'm not really sure how to put my finger on it. See, for, it, for you and I, in order for you and I to be discerning about what's coming in from the world around us, we have to build on this daily foundation, this daily discipline of reading the word And the Holy Spirit, as we pour into this book, 
will help us faithfully work through the cultural waves and the things coming at us. Now for a moment, I want to do like a, like a live examine of something here that I've seen floating around on social media. That there's a, something maybe a little fishy when we read it, but maybe we can't quite put our finger on it. So here I have this. Uh, Josiah typed it up so it was a little clearer. The, the tweet or whatever it was was kind of hard to read. But it says, the moment we Christians start looking for an authoritarian strongman to lead us is the moment we stop looking for the one who leads us by washing feet, who rides a donkey instead of a war horse, and who tells his brothers to put away their swords and take up their crosses instead. Seems legit, right? Like at first glance, there's a lot I really like about what's going on here. He leads, Jesus leads by washing feet. We see that in the New Testament. He rides a donkey. Yes, he does. On Palm Sunday, we're going to be talking about that in the coming weeks. He tells his followers to put away their swords and take up their crosses instead. Yes, there's passages where Jesus does that. But there's perhaps a a yellow flag coming up in some of our minds here. In this post, we see juxtaposition, strong male leadership. We have this implication presented to us that Jesus would never exert authority. And that concept is not biblical. Jesus is coming a second time with a sword. And every nation will bow to him willingly or unwillingly. He will be a king. He will be a divine monarch. He will not be a democratically elected president. See, if we don't immerse ourselves in the scriptures, when those yellow flags come up in our mind, we won't have the yellow flags. We won't be like, yeah, there's a lot of this that's really good, but then there's this idea that strong male leadership is bad. This idea that Jesus is this effeminate man who isn't coming with a sword won't even exist in in our minds. We we won't be able to discern that he is coming. He is, in fact, coming on a war horse. He's going to ride a white horse, as we read in Revelation. So we need to be in the word so that we can develop discernment, so that we can navigate some of these cultural pressures and agendas that are battering against us. So how do we develop discernment so that we can stay in the middle of the road? How can we have the bread of life help us develop that discernment? Well, a friend of mine semi-regularly reminds me of this phrase he heard from a, a famous teacher, that we, when we spend time in the Word, we develop a theological nose. We develop the ability to sense the yellow flag or the red flag when somebody says something that's off. And so how do we develop that? We turn to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, Solomon's writing. He says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive, that you may gain insight. For I, do, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. Be attentive. Be attentive. How do we develop discernment? First and foremost, we have to lay the foundation of reading it regularly, reading, our, reading the Bible regularly, whatever that looks like for you and I. And because I think definitions help, help us, when we talk about this idea of being attentive, of course, I turned to my favorite dictionary and pulled up a definition for attentive. To be attentive is to be heedful, intent, observant, to regard whatever you're consuming with care. It is applied to the senses of hearing and seeing as an attentive eye or ear to the application of the mind as in contemplation. To be attentive is to be heedful. It's applying our mind. We're paying attention to what we're reading. And as we're reading our Bibles, we need to be careful that we're not just skimming through it. It's really easy to turn it into a checkbox thing. I have done this many times. Just get through the Bible reading plan and get on with my day. But if we want to develop discernment, we actually have to pay attention to what it is we're reading. We have to think critically. God gave us these beautiful minds to think logically and reasonably and critically about what's being said and how we can actually apply it to our daily lives. So how do we do that? What are some helpful tools to be more attentive when we're reading the Bible, that when we're reading the Word, when we're studying the Scriptures? And I want to give us two ideas here to practice attentiveness. I would suggest 
you get a journal or a notebook. You can pick up a composition notebook for like a dollar. They're really, really cheap. Well, maybe they're more than that now, but they're really, really cheap. You can pick up some sort of notebook. And as you're reading through, like I do with my kids, they read a chapter a day and write one verse out. I would suggest write one verse of whatever your passage is for the day out. Write down the verse. And then I would suggest this. Don't just write down the verse. So that's good. That's all you can do. Okay. Baby steps. Now, once you've got that into a habit, write a thought about that verse. One, two, three sentences about what you think God is communicating in the text that you've just written out. And do it every day. And as you do this daily, you might find that some of the thoughts you wrote down last month or the month before or even the year prior are incorrect. Or maybe they're only half true. This should be encouraging. This should be super encouraging to you and I because if you and I recognize that we were a little off on something, that means God is developing our discernment. And he's giving us a more wide view of of the picture of his creation and how this world, world works. It means that we're growing and we are engaged with the text and we are attentive to his word. So the first suggestion is just get a journal, write out a verse, write out a thought, do it every day, and you'll find your discernment growing. The second suggestion to develop your attentiveness, which will grow your discernment, take a breath here, write, underline, highlight, and take notes in your Bible. The idea of doing this made me cringe for years. I had been told over and over again by so many different people that it was a really, really valuable tool. And it made me cringe, and I thought, no way, Jose. But after hearing it in so many places for so many years, I very begrudgingly said, okay, fine, but not in my Bible. I will get a cheap one. And so I got myself a second Bible. And so if, you were in that, if you're in that spot like I was, Walmart has them for a few bucks, Amazon go on by Christian books, you can pick up an inexpensive Bible and begin to write into it. But what I found was, after I bought that secondary Bible, and as I started studying it, and as I started underlining it, and highlighting it, and taking notes in the margins, I found out I was paying so much more attention to what I was reading, because heaven forbid I underlined the wrong thing. Or I underlined it in the wrong color. Oh no. But I found that I was underlining things that seemed important. I was underlining things that stood out to me, that I needed to remember. I was paying attention to the text. Later on, my wife got me a wide margin Bible. I think this was four years ago. And somebody had suggested colored pencils. I was using the, the colored pens, but that really, you can't erase a pen. And man, I, I'm like perfectionist. I use a ruler when I, when I underline things. And so I got some colored pencils, and I tried incorporating someone else's system. You know, this color is this thing, and, this, and that was too much. It was so much work, like, well, I think I need to underline this, but now which color am I supposed to use? And so I just started simple. I got a blue-colored pencil, and I said, blue is the general underliner. General things get underlined in blue. And then as I continued to study God's word, I started to come up with other colors. Green became anything related to jealousy or finances. Both, you know, jealousy is green, money is green, sounds right. Red became anything related to sin or wickedness. Bright red was anything prophetic about Christ. And so I developed this system of colors on my own. And now I just look at my Bible and I know what it is I was thinking when I underlined that verse. I found that as I was doing that, I paid way more attention to what God had com- is trying to communicate to me, what he had written to us as I read through it. So I would encourage you, if you want to be more attentive to the scriptures, if you want to develop discernment and be able to wade through the cultural things that kind of come your way, write out verses and write out your thoughts on them every day. Get some colored pencils or pens or underliners or highlighters or whatever it is and start taking notes in your Bible. You will find that when God has communicated a verse to you that really speaks to a difficult area of your life, you'll be like, I know there was this verse where was it? I think it was when I was reading Psalms. I know I underlined it in blue, and I know it's in the second column. And you'll page through it, and you will find it so much faster because you were engaged with the text 
on the page. And I found that true for me. I don't ever like coming around with an un- underlined Bible because I can't find anything. But I can when I go to the ones that I'm writing in. So we write out verses, we write out our thoughts on them, we underline, we mark in our Bibles. And if that makes you cringe, buy a cheap one and do, do it there. So the third way, after we've developed as our duty daily discipline, we're cultivating some sort of structure in our lives where we're reading the Bible regularly and we're developing discernment, we're studying his word, we're attentive, we're paying attention to what God has communicated to us and we take notes or we underline or whatever it is, we will find that God's word also becomes for you and I a defense and a protection. God's word, as we do this, will become for us a defense and a protection, and that shield will help us stay on the road when things come to try to knock us off of it. So how can God's word become a defense and a protection that keeps us on that road? We're going to turn here to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, it says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. See, as we read and pay attention, we begin to know God's word. We find we will start to put it into practice. And as we put God's word into practice in our lives, we find out it's true. We find out that God's word, it works. He, he, he said this, and I, I, I obeyed. I stepped out in faith, and it's working out. Things are getting better. And so we find that as we put God's word into practice, our trust and our faith in his word grows and the shield of the word gets bigger and bigger and bigger until we're like a Roman phalanx marching down the middle of that road. Now Ecclesiastes gives us additional ideas on how this actually works. How does that shield actually defend us? If we turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, And we look at verse 12. It says, For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Protection of wisdom, the wisdom we get, the discernment we get from God's word is like the protection of money and it preserves our lives. It helps things go better for us. Wisdom preserves lives. And how does it do that? It preserves our lives by teaching us about our own condition about our fallen, sinful condition and what we are at the very core post-Adam and Eve. It reveals to us our sinful habits, our tendencies, our proclivities, the things that you and I are inclined to do in our lives that aren't good. And as we pour over the word, we begin to recognize those things in our lives. We begin to see the things that we are prone to doing that don't honor and glorify our God. And his word, as we develop the daily discipline and the attentiveness, that discernment, God's word helps us navigate out of those sinful habits. And it's so amazing because as we read through this, God gives us so many warnings and so many blessings and so many good things in this book that we can pay attention to that will become our defense and our protection if we apply it to our lives. And I want to give us a few examples here this morning. In Proverbs, back in Proverbs, very pragmatic and good book. Where are we? Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. It says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Here's where the rubber hits the road. He's like, pay attention, guys. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps follow to the path, the path to Sheol. Why would Solomon write this to his son? Why would God write this to us men in general? Because this is a major temptation, and if you're living in our culture, it's perhaps even more so. And we see here what will happen if we give in to this temptation. Solomon says, this forbidden woman, her lips drip honey, her speech is smoother than oil. He says, it's attractive and it's a trap. 
And if you find yourself giving into this temptation and giving into this trap and stepping into it, not only are you sinning against God, which ought to be our greatest fear, these are all the bad things that are going to happen in your life. If we keep reading in this chapter, there's a whole lot more. If you follow this woman, her feet go down to death and you will end up with her. See, we're given this passage, men, as a protection. It is a defense, it is a shield, and as we're marching down that road in our Roman phalanx, the flaming darts of the evil one will not penetrate that shield. There's one warning. Staying in Proverbs. We go to chapter 14, verse 14. Real applicable to all of us here. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. What you reap, you sow. Jesus spoke about this a handful of times in the New Testament. If we backslide in our hearts, we will be filled with the fruit of our ways. So as we're looking at this idea of developing daily discipline, pouring over the word, doing the best we can to get a few minutes in it every day, and we find ourselves getting busy and backsliding and not committing to it, we're told here we'll be filled with the fruit of our ways. Just like if I decide I want to be healthy and eat well, and I eat a salad today and say I'm good for the month, it's not going to help me at all. Or if I exercise tomorrow morning and then I don't do it again for another three weeks, it's not really going to help me. Backsliding produces bad fruit, and we're given that truth as a defense and a protection, so we need to cultivate the daily discipline and the attentiveness to his word, or we'll find we're no better off. One more. This one's really personal to me and my family. Proverbs 14.4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. I have five children. And if you have kids, you know how difficult it can be to keep your manger clean. Right? I don't think this verse is telling me or giving me permission to allow the manger to stay filthy. I don't think that's what Solomon or God is communicating to us. What I think it's doing is it reminds me and my wife that as we labor over this good work of raising five children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that we're going to bring about abundant crops and it's going to be messy. It reminds us that there are seasons of life that are messy, seasons of life that are difficult, seasons of life where it does feel like a tornado hit the living room bookshelves. But it's good. But it is a good labor. That verse protects her and I against bitterness. And it's really easy as a parent to get bitter at cleaning up another mess from the toddler. My son loves dice more than I do. And he throws them everywhere. And every cardboard book is off the shelf 40 seconds after they're back on. It guards us against bitterness from frustration when one of our older children has done something foolish again that we've repeatedly reminded them is not going to glorify God. It protects us from bitterness at the end of the day when we feel like our life is futile and everything we've done yesterday is undone. Everything was cleaned, everything was swept, everything was bleached, and there's mud everywhere. Our manger would be clean if there were no oxen. But if there were no oxen, much of what we love wouldn't exist at all. It is good to have the oxen. So, these verses defend and protect us like a Roman phalanx as we march down the road from the flaming darts of the evil one. If the word is our defense and our protection, it is our shield, how do we cultivate that? How do we develop God's word as our defense, as our protection, as our shield? Well, I see two primary ways that we can do this, that we can develop God's word as a shield in our lives, that helps us march down that road. The first one, I'm going to go right back to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, where he had said, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. As you and I make reading a daily discipline, as we cultivate that habit, as we're attentive to what he says, we begin to put it into practice. We trust and obey God's word. We trust his word and we obey it. And when we do this, we find this proverb to be a bulwark to our faith because it proves true. 
because we see the fruit of it down the road. Maybe not this moment, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, but down the road we will see the fruit because he is faithful to his promises. And we will find that as we put it into practice, as we step out into faith, every time God asks us to step out in faith again, it gets a little bit easier because our trust for our king and his promises grows. We will grow in our love for him, our relationship with him, and our confidence in where we're headed as those promises prove true in our daily lives. So we need to trust and obey the word. We've cultivated the daily discipline of trying to read it every day. We're paying attention to what we're reading. We're trusting and putting it into practice in our lives. What is the last thing we can do to make this a defense and a protection in our daily lives? Well, memorization. Memorization. Now, I say that word, and it might make you cringe. Makes me cringe a little bit. Uh, uh, chemistry, comprehensive chemistry major here, and I don't know how many hours or days I spent in my uh, dorm room with index cards. Flipping through the flashcards, flipping through the flashcards. PCHEM was a beast. And that is one really good way to memorize. If any of you have been in the college uh, or, or even high school, wherever you've had to memorize, flashcards, note cards is an excellent way to memorize. If we make an exerted, exerted effort on a subject, we learn it really well. That much is true. If you're part of Awana, I have kids in Awana, you're very familiar with helping your kids memorize verses. So we memorize the word. Get some index cards, write out that verse of that thing you're struggling with, and remind yourself of it regularly. But God gives us a litany of other ways that we begin to have God's word in our minds and memorize it in our day-to-day life. And so I'm going to turn to one of my favorite passages here in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, where it says here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. So I have those highlighted there for us, teach, talk, bind, and write. If you're teaching the word to other people, like your kids, or in Sunday school, or to family members, or whoever it is, you'll find you know it better. Has anybody here ever taught anything and you found that you started to understand the source material far better than you did before? You talk about the word. You talk about it everywhere you go. Have you ever noticed that if you get together with somebody who has the same hobby or pastime as you, like you're into hunting or quilting or, or you're into nerdy stuff like I am, you start talking about it and all of a sudden you both learn a whole bunch of new stuff? And your understanding of it just grows. So we talk about the word. The more we teach it, the more we learn it. The more we talk about it, the more we learn it. That establishes, that helps solidify and memorize those things in our hearts and our minds. He says here we're supposed to bind it. Now that one seems a little bit more nebulous. But to bind something on your hand or between the frontlets of your eyes is to make sure it's always in front of your face. Like everywhere you go, what you put your hand out to do and where you look, what you see, what you think, it's right there in front of you. How can we bind something in our lives, a piece of scripture? Get a sticky note. Write down that verse and put it on the dash of your car. Even better yet, I think everybody, Rob's not here, I think everybody here has a cell phone. Put a verse as the background of your phone. Struggling with that thing, find a verse, put it on the background of your phone. Every time you open it up, you're going to be confronted with God's truth. You bind it everywhere you go. Get a poster board, write it on the door of your house so every time you leave, it's there. We have uh, one of the Westminster Confession of Faith quotes in there. It says, uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That, we are looking at that constantly. Binding it is just putting it in front of yourself often, and we will find that that scripture bound in our lives will defend us if we pay attention to it. And we're putting it there so that we will. To remind ourselves, we need to remember that verse. And the last and another easy way to memorize scripture is just to write it down, which we covered earlier. Write it down in your journal. 
Writing helps us remember. I was reading a recent college study, study of college students. They put a bunch of students in a classroom with a laptop, and they put a bunch of students in a classroom with a pen and paper. Who did better? Kids who wrote it down. Kids on the pen and paper. Now, I don't know, maybe the kids on the laptops were scrolling Facebook during class or lecture. I don't know, but if you write it down with pen and paper, you will remember it better. And so today, we've looked at just a few ways that we can stand on that road. We can stay on that road. We looked at, it's our duty as Christians to be in the Word daily, regularly. Not everybody has to study it all day, but everybody should be in it a little bit. And we do that by carving out time, by making time and eliminating distractions. The second thing we looked at is discernment. As we're in the Word, we develop discernment. But to develop discernment, we need to pay attention to what God is writing. We need to pay attention and be attentive. And we can do that by writing verses down. We can do that by underlining, by highlighting, taking notes in our margins. And the last thing we looked at is God's word is our defense and our protection. And we can develop it as our defense and our protection by trusting and obeying the Lord, by putting it into practice in our lives. Our faith will grow. And we can develop it as a defense and protection by memorizing it. Flashcards work great. And so does talking about it, teaching it to others, binding it, putting it in front of you everywhere you go and in everything you do, and writing it down. Now, I mentioned earlier, there were like 15 things I would have loved to talk about this morning. This was just three of them. There's so many other things that we can look at when putting God's word into practice and putting it uh, into practice in our lives. And I hope and I pray for all of us this morning that we've been motivated or encouraged or refreshed or inspired to get into this book, to pour over God's word, and we've seen some of the amazing benefits that it can do for you and I. And what my desire for Cedar Creek is, is that we would be a church that is absolutely faithful to God's word, that we would stand on this stalwart and fast as his truth. We would be humble in our understanding of it, not in the ditch of pride, but we also wouldn't end up in that ditch of neglect where we end up wayward and not knowing what he is speaking to us. So I would encourage all of us, stay out of the ditches. Get on the road. Walk hand in hand with your heavenly father as he puts that bulwark, that shield, that phalanx around you as you walk towards the heavenly kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm grateful that it, it teaches us, it corrects us, it instructs us, that it helps us navigate difficult things in our lives. I thank you that you loved us so much to reveal all of this to us. I pray, God, that we would be humble in reading it, that we would be diligent in reading it, and that in that working, that your spirit would work in us and build us closer to you in relationship with you and your bride, the church. We love you, God, and we commit our weeks to you. In Jesus' name, amen.